0: What's going on, podcast family? Ben here for Devo Bat Company. Rooted in eastern Washington, Devo uses nothing but the highest quality maple, ash, birch on the market. You know what? It makes a difference. At Devo Bats, they take pride in the craftsmanship that goes into each and every wooden bat produced. Your success at the plate is their ultimate priority. They want you to know when you think of bats, Think of Devo Bats, Devo Bats, your Northwest supplier of affordable quality wooden bats. Hey podcast fam, it's Ben here from my friends over at Baseballism. Founded by four former college baseball players and teammates, their love and passion for the game did not stop after leaving the playing field. An amazing organization founded on the beliefs of class, tradition, and the history of baseball. I personally shop at Baseballism because of the quality of their products and the top of the line customer service I get each and every time. Take it from me, an avid hat lover, Baseballism is not your run-of-the-mill apparel company. Check them out at any of their fine locations or visit them online at Baseballism.com Baseballism. Built for the love of the game. Portland is a baseball town. Our secretary didn't have anybody on the phone. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There was nobody on the phone. They were just egging me along. So they brought a little short, chubby guy in with the name Peters and put him <laughs> in my place and sent me the double A ball. Two fans, one mission to bring Major League Baseball to Oregon. This is the Diamonds and Roses podcast. Without further ado, your host, Ben and Dave.
2: Welcome to the Diamonds and Roses podcast. I'm your host, Travis. Ben is taking a much-needed breather, but he will be back soon. He's working on a project that we'll all be talking about uh, in the very near future. I have a very special guest today, and I'd like him to introduce himself.
1: So my name's Eric Fogel, and I own a little company here in Portland called Valley Athletics. We are what I would like to call a baseball company
2: Okay. And so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about your company here shortly and the challenges that uh, you're, you're having right now, obviously with COVID-19 and everything. Tell us a little bit about yourself first. I mean, tell us a little bit about growing up playing baseball and, uh, and how that led to getting into uh,
1: the business, the baseball business. Well, it's a long story. Uh, many, many years ago now, um I started, I grew up in Gresham, I went to Centennial High School, played for the uh, Centennial Little League when things were much different and, and baseball and the Southeast Portland Gresham side were a lot different and eventually once I left Centennial, uh, I actually went down to Southern Oregon State College and uh, I went there for a football scholarship and in my second year Uh, The school knew I had played baseball, knew I had still had a passion. I was, uh, at that time, talking about transferring back up to Portland to play baseball. And they came to me and asked me if I would like to start a club baseball team. Uh, At the time, the thought was uh, kind of having to start and then taking that over the years into an actual baseball team, uh, like a college-sponsored baseball team, that is. And at the age of 20, uh, I got to experience what it was like to coach a college baseball team. I had to recruit kids. Uh, I had to plan budgets. I had to buy uniforms. I scheduled 50 games uh, each year in the, the three years that I was there. Uh, I created a, a whole conference of club teams, uh, which was pretty cool. And really that I wasn't prepared. Uh, I wasn't prepared coming out of high school for what a coach actually has to do and what is expected of them. I was just a a kid that knew I liked to play baseball and I thought I was pretty decent at playing baseball and it was a a real learning experience. It, It laid the foundation for everything in my life that would come after.
2: So you actually told me a story one time about, uh, creating you actually you actually wrote a book tell me a little I, bit about uh why you wrote the book and 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 how that uh came about
1: sure uh, so the book i uh, so what the another thing about me is is i like to play video games travis and i like to play them a lot and uh i guess i'm 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 from the one of the first generations of kids that played video games growing up with uh, madden and tecmo and all those and uh as crazy as it sounds, I like to think, uh, when I was younger, I, I was uh, I was uh, very creative and, and uh, playing video games was was a way I, I relieved my stress. And it just so happened that uh, at one point, uh, I'm also very, very competitive. And somebody once approached me and was making fun of my video game tendencies and my, and my like to do so. And uh, basically, they told me that video games were pointless and that they could never do any good and uh they and i got into a discussion and a disagreement and it ended with them saying that uh i could never i could never write a book which was my point i was trying to make to them that creative people would play video games to help their creative juices getting uh getting going and at the time i was a manager at a pharmacy and getting back to my competitive nature when somebody calls me out Uh It is in my nature to basically uh, Make a decision and whatever I go for I go for wholeheartedly and in-depth. I quit my job I sat down at a computer And uh I was still living with my parents at this particular time <laughs> and I started writing it took me about uh, six months to, to write the book and at the, at the finishing, at the uh, once I had finished writing the book, uh, you have to go out and get published. And a lot of people don't understand the humbling experience of trying to get a book published. But even if you're a tremendous writer, the rejection rate is about 99%. And you have to write these things called a query letter. And in the query letter, you are given a very short amount of time. Uh, you get one paragraph to tell uh, the editor that is looking at your book, what your book is about in such unbelievable terms that they want to sign you right then and there it took six months to find a publisher to finally say yes and in that six months uh i to to finish everything that i was doing editing and stuff like that uh, i went back to college uh because going back to college number one i, I never really appreciated college until it was over and, and I had to get up at six o'clock in the morning and, and all that all the fun stuff that I was doing ended <laughs> But I I, I basically I, I took went back to college to, to finish out a business degree and at the exact same time I was using it to get into their computer lab that had a computer so I could finish Writing the novel because it was supposed to be six books originally uh, I was finishing that first book and those last you know about 50 or 60 pages and then once they I'd gotten approved then you go into a complete an editing process. The editing process is somebody telling you how awful a writer you are, <laughs> and that is that's another six full months of rewriting whatever work you're working on and going back over and and throwing ideas off a soundboard and having them um, adjust characters and and plot and dynamics and all those type of things. So um, as I was editing, I was also finishing up uh, my associate's degree and uh, in, in business at Mount Hood Community College.
2: So how does that lead to you becoming an owner of a company that sells baseball? Well, I guess originally you were selling dirt, but getting into the baseball business itself.
1: Well, it, life is very, very small. It's very, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's, there's all these little things that come together to make it where we are now. So as I was writing the book, uh, as I was coming to fruition, uh, again, things most people probably don't know is that to get into a major bookstore, you must sign with a publisher that when they kick the book off, if they don't sell very well, the publisher has to be able and willing to take all the books back. So you can imagine the risk factor, like it's really, really hard Find a big publisher and big publishers are the ones you hear all the stories about where people are getting $100,000 signing bonuses and everything like that. Well, that wasn't my experience. My experience is I was with a small publisher and my signing bonus was fifteen hundred dollars And my publisher and I didn't know this at the time did not take buybacks Which means I was excluded from about 95 percent of all brick and mortar stores so my experience of nine months of writing the book then I had six months of editing the book I made $3,900 that's it so my my ex-wife at the time uh, came to me at the very end of this thing and said you've made $3,900 over a two-year period and you need to get back to working (laughs) and I agree with her that was not unreasonable of request from her and uh, when I went out to uh, when I went out to go find a job, uh, there were two jobs that called me back. The first was a another company here in uh, the Portland Gresham area, and uh, it was called Sunmark Seeds wow. International. And the other company was a Walgreens, and I was offered a job for both. I was offered uh, a management job at Walgreens, which which had already done many times not necessarily there but throughout my life up to this point and the other job was to be a salesman for this company called sunmark well it just so happened that sunmark offered me the job because the old sandy head baseball coach recognized my name and when i went in there to interview he's like oh we're trying to launch this brand new product for baseball specifically and it's a dirt at add- uh, additive that helps uh Dirt not turn into mud. It was called Diamond Pro. I didn't know anything about selling. I'd never sold in my entire life. Honestly, I hate public speaking. Even now, my stomach is roiling and I am extremely nervous. But uh, he he called back the the next day and was like, You know, we want to give you a chance at doing this. So my ex wife and I were sitting down talking about this. And this gets back to my competitive juices. She tells me that. There is no way you could ever sell anything because you're scared of people. (laughs) She was so right. She was so right. And to this day, she has remained right. But uh, what ended up happening was she basically got that portion of my heart that uh, competes. And she made the decision right then and there that I was going to be a salesman of dirt. And I worked for Sunmark uh, for about three years. And It was a good experience. They taught me a lot. I owe much of what we do now uh, To the mentorship that I had had with uh, one of the older brothers in particular Uh, At the end of that relationship though, they said something that has stuck with me to The the end of my time and we're, we're talking now we're coming on 12 years to this statement and that is Eric if you think you can do it so good Then go do it yourself And when they told me that, I said, okay, my creative juices got boiling. Uh, It got me fired up. And on December 18th of 2008, I left Sunmark and I went and filed and created Valley Athletic Field Solutions, uh, which was a company built to sell nothing but baseball and softball coaches and dirt and additives for dirt to keep baseball and softball fields playable during the spring.
2: Okay. So you start this business. So tell me how, how it started and then give us a little snapshot of, of since basically January of 20, uh, 2009, excuse me. uh, How has it blossomed since then?
1: What, what was the process to get to today? Well, first step was finding labor. uh, And, as crazy as this sounds, uh, I, because I didn't have really have any money to start Valley Athletics with, I, I went to a friend that I had went to high school with, and he had, he had reached out to me about three weeks prior, and at the time, he was homeless, and he's like, hey, man, can you help? And well, when I started Valley Athletics, after I filed uh, to get all my tax ID numbers, I reached out to him, and, and I said, hey, man, here's the deal. I have a vacant room upstairs. We're gonna do this out of my house. Uh, we're gonna sell. We're gonna sell to Utah, Idaho, Oregon, and Washington. And we're we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this right now. We have basically a month to basically figure this out. So I moved him in, and uh, and I also brought my my younger brother with me. And from my office, so we had three bedrooms upstairs. Uh, Obviously one was with my actual room, but the uh the other one was my office and the third one was uh was uh Jerry's bedroom and then it was it was the third office. <laughs> and Nate would get there every single day at eight o'clock. Uh he would basically kick Jerry to get him out of bed. <laughs> and for the next eight hours uh we would go about calling people. And and Travis, I, I mean this is it's so funny looking back, man, because my brother would get there at eight o'clock, which was usually before I got up every morning, and he would turn on this Michael Jackson a cappella song, and he would play it for like three hours straight, just over and over and over again until both Jerry and I were up. <laughs> we were ready we were ready to go to work. So <laughs> but uh but to ask your question, uh I, the moment we started this, I systematically went to work on setting up supply chains and, and logistics, and, and getting everything um, ready to launch the public. Uh, you know, I also had a, a, another person uh, who acted as kind of the bookkeeper, and uh, the three of us are basically we were out selling and making money, while that person was doing all the invoicing, the billing, and everything like that, and. It, Honestly, for the first two years, it went it went really good. Uh, a lot of people uh, who have never run a business, they don't really understand how much running a business actually costs because there are multiple components to running any business. Uh, and it was a hard lesson. I had never, I, while I had, had worked at Southern Oregon, learning about budgeting and everything like that, and I had been at Sunmark, where I was their vice president of sales, I had never actually had to put together a budget where I was doing payroll and at the exact same time I was paying rent and at the exact same time I was trying to figure out cash flow. It just so happened, I don't know if you remember in 2009, but that was almost the heart, the height, excuse me, of the recession. I literally picked one of the worst times in America in the last like 50 years to decide, you know what, I think I'm gonna start a business. So not only did I do all this stuff in 2009 uh, when I applied with Wells Fargo, they told me I was stupid. The lady looked me in the eye and said, there is literally no way that you could run a business that sells dirt to baseball and softball fields. So you can imagine what happened. I mean, I've just told you three stories in a row of of me getting fired up. Uh, But that, that again, it, it lit a fire under me and it made me, get back to doing things, uh, working on just unique ways to, to go about putting together uh, a plan that would, would take us not just to through a one or two years, but it would actually take us through many years to come. Those first two years were probably, the they were, they were very hard and we had to produce enough profit to, to stay in business. But to go from no rent, three employees, the next step was okay. Well, now we have to have a warehouse. Warehouse costs X amount of dollars. So now you have to have X amount of profit to offset X amount of dollars in rent, and then it just started spiraling out of control in a pattern moving up. Um, really, for the first three years, it was all we were doing is selling dirt. From January to April was eighty-five percent of the selling season, and the other eight months. We were just sitting there playing video games. Uh, Nate playing that stupid Michael Jackson acapella song every single day. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was eight months of really doing nothing. Cause I was, I don't want to say I was a young kid, but I, I wasn't prepared. Like, how do you, we were a seasonal business. Right. And one day I happened to be walking into the place. I was storing all of my, my infield stuff. And They had a pallet of paint sitting there. And I was like, oh, you know what? Uh, Coach Child over at Centennial, he needs paint. So I called him up. I'm like, hey, you need some of this? He's like, yeah, I'll take five cases. It wasn't hardly anything. Didn't know anything about paint. Never sold paint in my entire life. And uh, after maybe the first two pallets, the first five or 600 cases, uh, my brother, which is kind of my idea, man, he uh, he comes to me. He's like, I think we can do this on a national scale. Now, uh, Nate, my younger brother, is why well, he's an idea man. And uh, he, he's also extremely stubborn. And he he doesn't have to deal with the logistics, the supply chain, and setting up everything. So while he was working out the uh, basically the metrics about how, how do we go to the market if we're going to go selling paint? Because at the time, we were this little this little podunk company with three employees, trying to figure out how to sell paint on a national scale to every, every state in the whole of the union. And uh, so while he was, all he does, all he was doing at that time, he was just sitting at a computer for eight hours a day, uh, look at Centennial High School, oh, there's the athletic director, whoop, type it into our, our database. And he did that for 28,000 high schools. It's pretty crazy, Travis. You think about that. My my I'm just saying that my my, my brain is all already going numb.
2: <laughs> sure, that's <laughs> and, that's a lot.
1: Why? and while he was doing that, I was working on what I do best, which is finding a supply chain, creating the actual brand itself, finding a manufacturing plant that could do this. And within about 5 months, he was he had enough of the the country mind as far as data and I had enough of a manufacturing uh, basis to, to, to launch. And we actually, at that point, we hired um, what is now our, our national sales manager. He's one of Belly Athletics' owners. His uh, name's Brian Lambert. He, uh, we actually hired him to bring him in. And uh, we added a whole new division out of nowhere, not knowing anything about it. Uh, we went off and we started a pain division. And it doubled the size of our company. It doubled the size of our company. It's incredible. And yeah, I mean, we had a lot of success. We had a lot of success. We, we went and we moved into a 10,000 square foot uh, uh, facility with brand new warehouse space, brand new office space. Remember what I was talking about before? Uh, every time that you ramp up and you do something different, you then have to have the cash flow to offset whatever you're doing, the the profit to offset the new costs. Well, what makes all this so unique and amazing is Valley athletics was started with zero. No bank has ever given us a penny, not a single penny. This has all been done through myself and I have three other, they're, they're my personal friends. They basically gave, gave me a little bit of money. And with that, Basically, it was with that forty thousand dollars, we have taken that, and we've had to buy the four hundred thousand dollars of inventory we're currently sitting on, and we have to we had to basically ramp that entire thing up to the point where, okay, well now we launched paint, but to launch paint to sell, let's theoretically let's say, uh, buy uh, to sell a million dollars of paint, you got to buy seven hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of inventory. And there is a constant conflict about how fast is stuff coming in versus how fast you're spending stuff. Plus, you got to pay people. Plus, you got to pay rent. Um, why paint was crushing is my entire point. I was I was taught another lesson on budgeting and forecasting, and that is, I'm playing a forecasting game and 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 projection game when I am not in constant control of cash flow. And I'm telling you this because the company we are today was completely predicated upon launching this unbelievable paint division and, and kicking and butt with it only to find out that because margins were so low, I nearly sold myself out of business. Hmm. I almost sold myself out of business. I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with my outflow of cash versus the sales revenue that was actually coming in and, tra- and trying to pay everybody with that. So, when that happened, I, I was at, I was, uh, my younger brother Nate was the head coach at Park Rose, and I was his assistant. And I pulled my entire staff in and I said, All right, guys, here's the deal. We've got to figure this out. We've got to figure this out right now. Because if we don't figure this out, we're out of business. And uh, again, Nate came into me and he's like, Well, hey, look, you know, let's figure this out. And we had never sold anything besides dirt and paint to this point. And I, I had begun dabbling in customers. I had sold dirt, dirt and paint, it's kind of an add-on to it. Uh, I had added uh, hats and uniforms. I mean, we're talking like maybe two sales per year, just people I would had good relationships with. And Nate's like, well, I think we can do this on a national scale. I'm like, whoa, hold on here. We have never sold hats. We've never, we don't know anything about this, man. And uh, as he and I are arguing, and this is a true story, this is the stubbornness of my younger brother. Uh, we're arguing, we're arguing, we're arguing. And one day, he sends out a mass email to 5,000 baseball coaches in Texas, Arizona, New Mexico. And in that moment, hats was born. Um, he he. Uh, we had such a good response on it. Uh, and I don't say I remember all my salesmen saying no, I don't want anything to do with hats because hats are like a five hundred dollar sale You know, five hundred to a thousand dollar sale and think about that you have seven people and you're paying them Salaries and everything like that. How many of those sales do you have to make to add up to enough to be able to actually afford anybody? and uh, that first year it really it, it launched that division, but It really didn't do enough profit to really move the needle you know it basically it 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 brought us back to we still lost money that year but we didn't lose enough money where valley athletics folded which was the whole point of it right we had to figure out a way we could we could stay in business and do the things that we needed to do to, to keep moving forward but what? it did is it facilitated a whole new way of thinking for me and Once that first year ended I then went to work on how we take Hats and to another level and how do we take what else do we add? and First it was hats and then shortly thereafter uh, I actually bit and we started doing uniforms and shortly thereafter Uh, I basically I handed my entire sales book and I gave it to two of my salesmen and I actually I I full-on went and launched the cloth division of Valley Athletics which is which is now roughly 50 percent of my whole company Um, and you know through that we we now supply nationwide we supply nearly to every single state in the United States Uh, we supply uh, a lot of our business down in into warm weather states. And, we, and when our focus has never changed, we have always been a baseball first company. But throughout the years, we have added a little bit of football, a little bit of wrestling, a little bit of basketball. We just hired a, a, a guy uh, to basically do swimming for us. And I'm pretty excited and he's come on. With all these new readaptions and evolutions that Valley Athletics has had over the years, everything was poised and lined up for a wonderful future uh where i was hiring people and i was being aggressive and i was being excited and i was was giving a lot of money back to local communities um in donations and uniforms and sponsorships and sponsorship signs and um you know basically you always help the people that got you there right you always help the people that got you there and and without the local communities without you know my my employees those are the people that got me to the point where, uh, 2020 basically kicks off. Best years at Valley Athletics has ever had was 2017 and 2018 and we expanded and okay. So here we are. 2020 launches. We're kicking butt. We've hired people. I'm negotiating with a a guy that's the swimwear guy. And I'm getting ready to launch this whole other division that we had never done. Getting ready to, to uh, elevate my company yet again, and then Travis, the sport apocalypse happens.
2: Right. So that's that's one of the questions I was going to ask you. So, so you said that that business was rolling along. What? When did you first hear about COVID nineteen, and, and what was your honest
1: reaction? Uh, the first time I heard about it was probably and 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 took more than just a cursory glance at it was January, and to be honest, uh, my head was down, basically trying to operate my company and and keep things going. The, it was basically prepping for what would be the height of our season. Uh, truth be told, I, I didn't take it very serious at all. I. Yeah. It was, norm, it was somebody else's problem. It was a world away. Sure.
2: Sure. So, so tell us, that, that's why we're talking really is, is we want to kind of get a sense of what's it like to be a business owner right now. Uh, what are the challenges and, and what are you, what are you doing to survive?
1: Well, up until really up until, I mean, I would say March, it still wasn't my problem. You know, I mean, up until March, I mean, yes, there were cases happening, but nothing was shut down. Everybody on the news was, you know, they were talking about it, but it hadn't got to, uh, let's just say, catastrophic proportions where action was being taken. And I I remember, uh, so I'm also a high school baseball coach, and uh, I I was taking my team down to Arizona uh, this last year. And I remember talking on, March 10th, with my athletic director, and no school had shut down, and everything we we were gonna we were we were practicing still, and my company was super health, healthy. We were on pace to basically have the best March we we had ever had, and then on March 12th, it all shut down. In a matter of 48 hours, it was a domino effect of everything that I. And I had come to basically take for take for granted, went from zero or, or I guess one hundred percent buy-in from everybody in the community and, and you know expenditures to nothing. And when I say nothing, I, I truly mean we went from a couple hundred thousand dollars to zero in a matter of two days. It was like a faucet was on. And it was a good stream of water, and then all of a sudden the hot water was ran out, and so we were just frantically working and just whoop turned the spigot right off, and just nothing <laughs> and uh even even when that happened travis uh you know for the first ten days of this entire thing uh really i i I more into depression than anything else uh because I was presented with a catastrophic event that literally nobody could have foreseen. I mean, and I'm not the only one. I, at the time, when it first happened, I was like, I, I was pointing to my wife, I, I just can't, I can't believe this. I mean, they just shut down every piece of revenue that we could sell to. If, if there are, we sell to schools. We sell to youth organizations. If the state shuts down schools and youth organizations and makes facilities unavailable, well, now there's nobody to sell to. They basically, in a matter of 48 hours, shut my company down. And that put forth, after the first 10 days of just feeling sorry for myself, uh, I mean, I had to have some real reality checks, man, real reality checks. I I offered a guy a job, and I I basically had to withdraw that offer at the time because (laughs) with no revenue coming in, there was no profit coming in. for us, and I have to think this is basically for any small business, is not just about making the sales. And I'm just going to use theoretical numbers here. If you made a million dollars of sales, and let's just say you made 40% margin, you would have made $400,000. All right. That sounds like unbelievable, like woohoo, yay for everybody. However, what happened to us is not only did the revenue shut off. So let's go ahead and say that at on March 12th, 1 million dollars shut off. Well, we have this 400,000 dollars of profit still sitting there, right? We should have been fine. Anybody that hasn't run a business before would look at that and go, well you can keep all of your employees, you can, you know, you can do all these things, you can operate for a while. But here's the other thing that happened to us, Travis, and that is when schools shut down, when the youth programs shut down, you don't know shut down with them, all their bookkeepers their bookkeepers couldn't go in to pay bills. So not only did the business shut off, but all the the cash flow, the profit we had made, what we would pay to pay our bills, that was instantaneously shut off with it. And you can imagine the stress and, and absolute and I I terror is probably not the right word, but the stress and terror that I had as I'm looking at the fact that I've got I've got 11 employees. I'm getting ready to hire a guy I'm looking at all all these advancements to my company and now I not only do I have no sales coming in But I have no revenue coming in because everything is not just shut It's not just closed, but it's shut down. I am Basically my whole company is on lockdown and and The choice I was I was faced with, uh, I could either, and I know there's been a lot of stuff in the news about companies letting employees go and and not looking out for the best interests of the companies, but what is a small company supposed to do? I, I have this catastrophic situation here, and I was forced to basically lay off four full-time employees and two part-time employees. And if you work for me, you're family. This is a true story. This is a true story about my family. And I'm, I'm my little brother, again, is he's a lot in, very in my life. He's one of my best friends. But when we first started Valley Athletics, we had hired um, a very nice lady. And she was not terribly savvy with computer technology. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh when we made our first jump from just dirt into the paint game, we had to basically go to a completely different customer manager. We had to go to new technology for accounting. And she, she struggled. She struggled with those things. I hate firing people. I'm not a confrontational person. But finally, I had to basically look at alternatives of how I could accomplish the job that had to be done. And the first thing is, is I I went to my leadership guys and I said, look, we're going to have to probably move on. Here's what we're going to do. And my younger brother stood up and said, Eric, she is family. You never forget family. You can take 50% of my salary. And if you keep her, she can have my salary because we're family and we don't turn our back to our family. And that, <clears throat> that has always, always stuck with me. That's. I would like to think that is how I treat the people that I employ. And to lay those people off was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And I'm really happy that uh, at the end of the day, they did come out with the federal grants and we were blessed to basically get that, which leads into another, uh, the other thing that we're doing right now and after all that bad stuff and all that negative stuff that we had to get through and all of the sacrifices that had to be made because honestly Travis before I did anything before I asked before I laid anybody off before I asked any sacrifices from my employee, the first thing I came in I walked in and said I will give you I I will give up, not give you, I will give up 75% of my salary. I was making almost nothing. For two months, I've made not zero because I still have bills I have to pay. But I basically took my salary down to nothing to be able to afford to keep the seven people I could. And the choice I was faced with, I either keep seven people and I keep us all alive for as long as I possibly can, which was, you know, 120, 150 days. Or I keep the 13 people I employ in whole. uh, Really, I have about a month and a half before we're out of business. So after all the hard choices, after putting my own money back up, and and once I put my money back up and I realized it wasn't going to be enough, every one of my employees gave up something basically um, to, to remain employed at Valley Athletics. And one day my, my younger brother calls me and he's like, you know what, man, we should really take a look at, we should really take a look at face masks. Right. And honestly, man, I, I don't know if you guys can see me here, but I have this big round no. No. Santa Claus looking <laughs> face. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'm not ever going to wear a face mask. <laughs> that is insane. But I, I'm still a businessman. and not only am I a businessman, I'm, I'm trying to look out for the betterment of the people that are left at Valley athletics and putting food on my, my family's table. And I went back and as I've done since the very starting of Valley athletics, a challenge was presented to me. Uh, Nate had a really good idea and I went back and I started talking to a manufacturer and that manufacturer was already thinking about things. And, uh, back on I guess it would be April seventeenth in a matter of forty-eight hours, Travis, forty-eight hours, I picked up my whole company, I spun it 360 degrees, and I launched face masks with custom face masks, uh, through Valley Athletics for a manufacturer called ProLook, and we launched it to the entire country. And I was a little bit I was a little bit worried. I'd never sold face masks in my entire life. You would have asked me 10 years ago if this would ever be on the docket and something I would be selling, I would have laughed you out of your chair. <laughs> so, but but here we are. Yeah. Um, it's an education process, not only for me, but if you would have asked any school district if they would have ever been buying face masks, they'd have been like, oh, yeah, you're kidding me, man. There's no way that we'd be thinking about face masks for our teachers and our kids and all the things that go along with it. Um, but I, I do feel... One of the I, one of the reasons I'm so wholeheartedly into this is that you know there there are there's a there's a need that has to be met out there, uh, whether whether you believe face masks work, whether you believe that the COVID uh, thing is is real and all those things, because there's all sorts of uh, arguments going back side by side. It seems like every single day I get on the news and there's somebody talking about one aspect or another. Uh, the reality is, is Valley Athletics is buying into something that there's there's currently a public demand for. And my my aspect, things that really stand out to me are that let's be honest here, no no single person I know wants to be wearing a face mask. You don't leave your house going, you know what today I'm going to put that face mask on my face. There is nobody that wants to do that. Even mm. if even if you're wholeheartedly bought into the, the Protection of our elders and our our kids You might be forced to do it, but you don't want to do it. And so One of the things that really stands out about our face masks that I I I would like to think about our face masks is that our face masks are the Cadillac of Of face masks. I mean, they're they're soft. They breathe extremely well. They're made with antibacterial um, uh, cloth uh, they're, they're moisture wicking. So it sucks the sweat away from your face. And let's be honest, we're all getting ready to go out here in, in, in summertime where we're running, we're walking outside with our dogs. These things are actually applicable to our current, you know, our current weather pattern that we're about to have. Although I Oregon here in the last 10 days has been current typical Oregon with the rain, but eventually that's going to turn off and we're going to get to 85, 90 degrees. And yeah. then we're going to have five straight months of that. Yeah. Yeah. and for the most part man it's you know there's there's been a couple of people that have been very cranky that were selling face masks but uh for the most part we have been received extremely well people no, yeah people have realized that like this is a, a unique thing that we're offering i mean face masks are there nothing revolutionary about them i mean everybody's offering face masks outside, but but these ones are branded um i just got done doing some for my high school baseball team and and uh, many high schools and districts are buying for teacher appreciation and graduation. And, uh, you know, they're they're, uh, they're there so people can somewhat protect themselves, uh, have a little bit of school pride, not be completely uncomfortable doing it, and uh, hopefully enjoy themselves under our current parameters of social distancing safety. And by the way, uh, I don't know if you can see this, but no,
2: can't see it. The, <laughs>
1: that that's what our mask looks like. Yes, we able says, to see
2: that. It said no, but I can describe it. It's, it oh. says centennial. It has stripes, but we, there there are seven different designs, right? So basically, if you can dream it, you can do
1: it. Correct. I mean, that's, uh, that's what, Yeah, that's absolutely. You're absolutely right, Travis. Um, in fact, uh, what I what I like to tell people, uh, you you actually just said it. If you can dream it, uh, you would be surprised how many people are not dreamer (laughs) they they want the templated look but i i mean this literally if you can dream it we can make it you know if if you went for uh for the podcast wanted polka dots on yours with black light and also said travis rules yeah we can actually make that mask for you
2: yeah i've seen some ones that have the hashtag i saw some of the designs you guys are doing i saw some high school logos on one side and on the other side class of whatever i mean it's pretty impressive
1: yeah yeah, and it, you know, it, again, it gets. Think about how much seniors have lost, and you know, some states are there is absolutely no graduation at all. Some states are social distancing graduation. Um, there's all sorts of different things happening across the entire country. Um, one of the things we I think we can all agree on is that our seniors just had a a once in a lifetime catastrophic event that no other senior class will probably ever have, which is where. Their senior end of their senior year was completely canceled. They lost out with hanging with all their friends and doing all the things that, that kids should be doing. For right. those athletes that uh, lost their spring season, they didn't even get to participate for their their spring season. Um, and now, for many of the states out there, graduation has been narrowed down into these very very small things. Um, so again, you know the the whole public safety thing, but. I personally, I would really like to think that we are offering these seniors a chance and their schools to think outside the box and maybe use our masks to help kids graduate, not actually help them graduate, but to bring them together to actually have their diploma handed to them and something that they've earned. I mean, shoot, if they're their 12th year of, of school, that means they've had to get 12 years up to the point of graduation. That should be an important event. Yeah, not
2: well, not to mention that there, there will be people playing this summer, hopefully sooner than later. But it looks like as and basically late June, early July. I mean, if they're going to wear face masks on the field, this is the perfect face mask for them to have. Um, so let's uh, let me ask you this. If somebody wanted to contact you, what's the best way to contact you?
1: Well, we're we're located. Um, we're located in Portland. so There are many ways to find us. Uh, I will say the the easiest way is just to give us a call. And uh, for those that don't have our phone number, uh, it would be 503-766-4366. That's Valley Athletics' phone number. Uh, you can also do a re- little research on us at uh, www.valleyafs.com. That'll, we have a website. And once you get there, you can type in masks and it'll pull up all the specifications about our masks, the CDC, what, what, their, what their recommendations are, What are the limitations? What are the specifications? What materials it made from? And then uh, our website also gives you, um, if you don't even want to talk to us, for example, you could actually just pull up our website and that'll take you right to the building tool where you can build your own mask without ever actually having to deal with a salesman.
2: Excellent. So let me ask you one more question before we uh, sign off here. What uh what are you thinking about for 2021? What are some creative ways that you plan on surviving or anything that you haven't launched? I know that Nate's the idea guy, but I've I've known you for a while and you you have a lot of good ideas as well and I know that you you know have been stewing in your house and thinking about things. So give us an idea of what you've been thinking about going into 2021. Well,
1: you know, if if uh a lot of a lot of 2021 is going to depend on whether there's a fall athletic season or not. Uh, many states are starting to open up phase one and phase two uh, into uh, the COVID preparation and, and reopening their states. Um, obviously, the southern states and the su- southeastern SEC territory states—they uh, really take their football very serious. Uh, the the future is going to be completely based upon how how does how does how do we operate under the covid the new covid restrictions there there is no going back there is no going back to normal the the normal that we knew that was march 1st that is gone that is gone for the foreseeable future that's not saying it won't return at some point maybe that is january of 2021 but there is no magic button. Our governor here in Oregon is not going to hit a button and say, "Okay, we're back to normal." Go. Um, we are going to have to. We are going to have to work our way up. That's what the phases are all about. Obviously, but it's not just it's not just that, um, because even if we work our way up back up to phase three, where we're three, uh, fully launched, what I mean theoretically, what happens if the, the next phase comes around and the, and this happens all over again? Are we going to shut down? So part of, to answer your question, part of what we're preparing for is we want to have a good long-term plan of sustainability. Right now, that is face masks. Uh, We are getting ready to launch a brand new line here this upcoming week, and we're going to basically be launching personalized hand sanitizer. Uh, Again, there's a public need for this, uh, and as I walk into my grocery store, every single time I go there, they always seem to be sold out of it. Um, I don't want to get on, I'm not trying to compete with the grocery chains, but um, it makes a whole lot of sense. There's Somebody's buying a mask, buying a little jar of hand sanitizer kind of goes hand in hand with that. And then my, my true goal, uh, I mean, again, if, if you would have asked me a decade ago if we'd be selling masks, no, there's there's I, there's just no way we'd have done it. but. Once things turn back on, my goal is to transition back over to the company that we were. And that is, we want to provide athletic supply, uniforms, hats, team wear, apparel uh, to all the high schools, youth programs, uh, you know, commercial um, aspects here in, in uh, the United States.
2: Right. And you're not just talking about baseball, you're talking about all sports, correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, we we kind of have explained we've always been a baseball first company really the last two years we have started to open up more and more into the other sports uh you know you can specialists we are specialists but we have started basically over time picking up uh, football uniforms and basketball uniforms or we're just we're opening a, a swim branch now um we're gonna be doing all the things. We're gonna go. We're we're my goal, uh, and in thinking into the future is not just to be a just a sheer baseball company anymore, but to be a well-rounded athletic supply company that can handle any sports and any genders needs uh based upon whatever aspect of life they're doing.
2: And a lot of kids are, are training at home. Do you do you sell nets, teas, and that kind of thing?
1: We yeah, we certainly do. We yeah. certainly do. Okay. We uh for most of our Nets and our Ts and stuff like that, um, because we are a small company, uh, we don't keep that in, in inventory uh, here in Portland, okay. but we do basically source it. Um, most of our Nets and our Ts come out of our warehouse uh, that we share with many other companies in Jasper, Indiana.
2: Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Well, I think that's about all I have for, for today um i really appreciate you opening up about not just your past but you know kind of what's going on i know it's hard um and uh we just really appreciate you uh opening up and telling us who you are and, and what you're doing and that will do it uh, for this episode of the diamonds and roses podcast to all the baseball f- players and fans out there You did your part to stay home for baseball, and we want you to keep up the uh, great cooperation with your fellow citizens. And like Nick Saban said, wear a mask. We cannot stress that enough. Wear a mask. And be well, be healthy, stay sane. We are in this together. And peace out.